0: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks.
1: This episode of The Bittersweet Life is brought to you by Stackery. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the US. With stackery.com, you can shop at any US retailer and ship anywhere at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your packages, and a tax-free U.S. address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, save 10% off your first shipment by using the coupon MANJA.
0: Hello, this is the Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but instead, as long-promised, I have with me... Have I long-promised this? Yes, I've mentioned it many times before. Why would
2: you long-promise that? I
0: have with me the former host of my public radio show that I worked on for what, almost a decade. The show no longer exists, but you and I were colleagues for a good long time. MISU. It
2: exists in, um, in radio land. And it in exists. our heart. It exists in the internets, in the interwebs, in the tubes and the stuff.
0: True, it, but it's just not happening alive anymore.
2: No, that's true.
0: Do you want to tell people who you are?
2: Now, my name is Steve Scherer.
0: And who are you?
2: I'm just a person, Katie. <laughs> I don't identify about my job. Perhaps I'm more identified by the things I do and the adventures I take.
0: Right, exactly. So the adventure that we had together was almost 10 years of working together on Seattle Public Radio. And now um, we don't work together on a regular basis, but we do see each other. A little less so now that I moved to San Francisco. But also because you've become a world traveler since you.
2: Do you feel you're an expat in San Francisco?
0: A little bit. Yeah, because I don't really know anyone.
2: So you're a little lonely. You'll wander the streets looking for things to happen. You find new things around every corner, but they don't They kind of make you a little sad sometimes.
0: Yeah, sometimes. I'm not as lonely there because uh, Derek's there. So I had a little bit more of that feeling of in New Orleans, but maybe a little bit more expatty because I am in San Francisco for the foreseeable future, and I don't have a job, and I don't know much about the city.
2: Yeah, you don't need a job. And you're getting to know the city. Did you look at that? I know you're supposed to be interviewing me. No, it's fine. Go ahead. Did you look at that book I gave you, the the, the illustrated maps by uh, Rebecca Solnitz?
0: Yes. We're working our way through them. Brilliant
2: book. A brilliant way to get to know a city by looking at the layers of its history through its architecture and its just grid.
0: Yeah. Do you want to say what that book is?
2: I think, wasn't it called The The Hidden? No. No,
0: it's something like. Anyway, Rebecca Solnit, it's a book about San Francisco, but it it has like little places that you can walk and visit, but it's based on themes basically. So it would be like... But
2: but it's an atlas. It's an atlas, uh, an actual map book. It's an atlas that she made along with some artists. Each page is this, a map of where literary San Francisco grew up or a map where where Haight-Ashbury San Francisco occurred. And then on top of that is, is all these other sort of more esoteric and philosophical concepts of the city. It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, including, I don't know how she puts it, but including something like the magical areas of, the top 40 magical areas of. So we've been ticking off the magical areas.
2: Infinite city, a San Francisco atlas. Right.
0: So that was w- the first thing that happened to me when I walked through the door of my new apartment was, actually before I walked through the door, was I walked up to the door And my upstairs neighbors had a package leaning against the door, and that was from you. That book.
2: Oh, really? Oh, great. That's a great way to come. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah. Because it's a it's a discovery, and you know, new places are discovery. And even if you feel a little tinge of sadness because you're not, you know, because you're lonely and it's not your home, and it's interesting to have that a guide like that with you as a sort of a companion to that. And it's not a guidebook in the traditional sense. It's much more about feeling and emotion and mm-hmm. how a place evolves over time
0: right yeah so this is all fresh in your memory right now because you just got back from being in France for a month
2: yeah yes because I'm not about my job right. you're about I, your
0: experiences I'm
2: about my experiences
0: but you were always about your experiences our job was about experiences wouldn't you say
2: no I would say that <laughs> when people said what do you do I told them what my job was and they said oh, okay and I was placed in a sort of a cubbyhole of somebody's perception just as I do with other people too right oh I'm a podiatrist oh I work on accounting right
0: would you say that in the past you had a pretty large influence on the thought of Seattle as a city
2: I don't would never that's so that sounds so pompous (laughs) no but I would say that we tried to have conversations that we felt were percolating in the city and that maybe continued those conversations so that other people would say oh you know what i heard they were thinking this i think this Mm
0: -hmm. that's true true. okay so you just got back from france though which to my understanding having been friends with you for now many many years was the first time that you'd ever been in a foreign country alone alone
2: yeah (laughs) i had never done that sort of quintessential travel that people in late high school or when you graduated college or even in the middle of college where you would say, oh, I'm, I'm taking off to Europe for a year or five months and put on a backpack and had enough money to make it over there and then wandered. I never did that, I, I was too chicken. I was too concerned about money and then um, I ended up with a dog that I didn't feel right to leave with other people and it just never happened. And I was probably too chicken to be alone, but I don't, I don't know if I was too chicken to travel because I did other travel. But yeah, I never did that. So I always wanted to do something like that. I mean, I've traveled a lot. I mean, my wife and I and my kids and on journalism trips, i traveled a lot since then. I've been to Europe a bunch of times. I've been to Africa. I've been to Asia a few times, mm-hmm. Central America. So And some of those were journalism trips, so those were had their own sort of structure and meaning. But I'd never just gone somewhere and said, I want to... Go live in some other place. And even though a month is just the bare minimum of living in another place, that's a, what I wanted to do.
0: With largely no structure for the most part.
2: But because I am sort of a cowardly a person, I gave myself a structure, which was that I would take French at a school in Nice because Nice sounded interesting to me because it was, you know, it's, the, it's on the Riviera, except it's not the biggest city. But it is a big city. It's an interesting city. Part of it that's a working city. It's also well-known as a tourist city. And I was also wanted to go there because of all the writers and artists that have spent time there. Spent time there. Matisse and Chagall and, and Queen Victoria, which I didn't know she had spent time there. But apparently Queen Victoria went there every year for many years. And they even have a hotel in the hill that was named after her that was her Either she built it and owned it or she stayed there or there was some part ownership because the English are well represented in the economy of Nice. But anyways, Nice seemed like a cool place and the Mediterranean climate seemed cool. And it was middle of winter. So I thought, well, it'd be a little warmer. Was it? It was like the Northwest, you know, 40s, 50s, except it was in centigrade, of course. But it was in the 40s and 50s. It did rain for a good chunk of the time I was there and even snowed for a couple of days. Uh, which they didn't usually get snow, but they got snow this year. And it was windy when the rain came sometimes because it's this Mediterranean climate and the wind would blow in. But other times it was beautiful blue skies for a few days and the sea was that slate gray that it gets in the winter months or in the early spring months. It was wonderful. And they have this long promenade that you can walk on that goes about two to four miles. I can't remember. And much of it's called the Promenade d'Anglais the Promenade of the English, because the English built it. The English tourists and people like Queen Victoria paid for it to be formed and later paved, because before it was there sort of as a walkway, a grassy walkway, but you know how we settled the coastlines. We right?
0: paved things. Yeah,
2: So it's, and it's quite long. It's lined by these pretty cool hotels, some newer buildings, but many of the older buildings of that era, the 1870s, mm-hmm. 90s, and 1910s, the Belle Epoch anyways it was a cool city so i wanted to be in a place that was the other reason oh and then i took french because
0: you uh, needed a structure
2: i needed a structure and uh in high school i took two years of french and i was one of those people in high school that like most of us right
0: yeah let's admit it
2: yeah don't call on me don't call on me i can't pronounce the words and you'd be all uptight about it and and i tried to study and i did okay on the reading and the but as soon as you had to speak out in class in French, I couldn't do it, and I had panic. So I only did two years, and then when college came around, I said, well, i got to get my B.A. instead of my, you know, i got to get the language requirement. And I made it through a quarter and then two or three more weeks, which because I had the same thing. It was hard. I didn't want to speak up in class. And so I dropped out of French class. I took a Spanish class later, but it didn't fulfill the language requirement. And so I, you know, I kind of had punted on that, and I got a BS instead of a BA, which I always thought was kind of (laughs) lame. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to check one thing off my my list of failures, (laughs) and I was going to take French class for a month and try to start the process of learning the language. And so I immersed myself in the school. And it was not an expensive school, looked like the classes were small enough, and I figured there'd be people like me and there were. So I had that structure too. And that structure was great.
0: How would you say that you ended up at least well enough to be brave enough to speak out in class?
2: Oh, in class, I had none of that problem anymore. And you know, I've been a journalist all these years, right? My whole job is to speak out loud and ask questions and say things and have opinions. So as bad as my vocabulary was, my teacher was fine. She had this way of like when I'd say something, and not just me, but when people would say something, when you mispronounced it or used the wrong words, you'd get this sour look on her face like a cartoon character, and everything gets scrunched up in one form or another. But no, we talked all the time, and oh, we had, an, uh, we had to talk about hiring a caterer to cater our wedding, and I was the person having a wedding. You know, and it could have been boring, because we had the script that, that we had already listened to, but forget that so we started making stuff up I wanted to have elephants parading through my wedding and he told me he could get me so many elephants but they were smaller elephants I mean we just goofed around which you never would have that kind of fun in high school class right because in high school class you took it all so seriously Mm -hmm. everything was like had to be so serious and your class was serious
0: I quit after two years in high school and I'll do you one better i didn't get a bs but i went to a college that didn't have a language requirement for that reason
2: oh for that reason on purpose
0: on purpose yeah because i didn't want to have to do it again and of course now on this show we constantly joke about how bad i am at languages but really I, do i know have i ever really tried not really
2: well you're going to italy spend some time in italy and take an italian
0: class. Well, i know but i keep going to italy and it's the same thing yeah
2: but take a class I know they have the same schools there, just take a class. I mean, some people were just there for a week or two in these classes, yeah. just as refresher courses.
0: And did you pick France because you had taken French in high school? Was that why?
2: Yes, definitely, I wanted French. I, I like the sound of French, I like the way it sounds. Even though some people make fun of it, I just like the lyric nature of it. I, I like other, the sounds of many other languages, but I like the sound of French. And I, and I have respect for the French culture, French art, French films studied French films when I was in college and uh, French literature to some extent. Poets, as Dylan said, sort of like Verlaine and Rimbaud.
0: <laughs> so you're there a month. You were anticipating being lonely and not necessarily. You weren't sure how you were going to do. Yeah. Tell me about that. the arc of the month. How did you do?
2: Um, I Well, for one thing, I have like strategies yeah. when I'm traveling now to sort of deal with that including more drinking. (laughs) I believe you also recommended the drinking. I did, yeah. Yeah, So more drinking is good. I have, I mean, there's, again, keep in mind that, you know, I was afraid of being lonely and I was, I'm a coward. So I had, uh, I had Netflix, right? So I would watch movies that gave me comfort or TV shows that gave me comfort.
0: Which ended up being what?
2: Oh, cartoons. You know, I like animated stuff. (laughs) Well, I finished up things like Stranger Things. I hadn't finished Stranger Things. There were a couple other series like that that I was finishing up. There was a brand new David Chang food series that I thought was brilliant. It was all about how cultures are blending and and tearing things apart and smushing them back together. And if you're not elitist about it, of which I will say that I found some of the food culture in Nice to be kind of elitist. Like they kind of clung to old ideas about food, partially because of tourists, but partially because They just sort of did, and I thought, how interesting that they haven't brought new flavors in. But I like that show, so I watched that show. I walked a lot. You know how you're supposed to walk like 10,000 steps, but really not. you're supposed to walk 15,000 steps. So I had to get my 15,000 in every day, and so that was good. I listened to music. I bought a SIM card from my phone so I could get good quality coverage, and I was in the city. And, uh... I made an effort to make friends with the people that I liked in my class, so I had some people to relate to and be friendly with. Mm-hmm. But my landlord who was French, you know the guy, the Airbnb host, was a totally great guy and was more than willing to be friendly and so we had drinks a few times and walked around the city, he told me about his city. He was a young guy, he was not even 35, but he had good stories, so he was fun. So I made I tried to make some connections. I picked a bar that was my that was going to be my bar, and at first it was. They were just kind of, you know, how people can be and when you walk <laughs> into a. It was kind of. It looked you know, it's in a touristy area. There's a lot of tourists, but there's also a lot of local people. And this was a local people's bar, but I got to know the bartenders and the servers. And
0: were you speaking French to them?
2: Yeah, except sometimes the one of the bartenders would get a little frustrated with me and said, "Big, big one or a little one? Mm-hmm. Small or big for the beer?"
0: And You're like for the elephant or. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Right>. uh... <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah. Call
0: back.
2: yeah <laughs> so that's that was how I stopped feeling lonely or, or I mean I still felt lonely. And I also I'm sure many of the people are aware of this that right, people travel know this. I don't know, I left with a cold and when I got there I still had the damn cold and it got worse for a time and then it got a little better and then it got worse again. So for most of the four weeks I was sick.
0: That's too bad.
2: It was too bad, but it was... I mean, I wasn't like on death's door. There was one two-day period where I said, oh, I got to lay down because I was sick. But, you know, I was just sneezing and coughing and oh, that makes you popular.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Did doing this change you? Did you leave one Steve share and come back some other Steve share in a month?
2: <laughs> well, I filled up a hole that was in me with the French, but also with the notion of feeling... Can I go travel alone and be alone and not be bothered by it? Yeah, I felt like, okay, I feel better about that. I'm too old to have like some profound transformation. But I can see how if you were young and you did something like this, it would not just be a, a moment, but it would be transformative. When I was a kid, me and four friends, we graduated high school and we bought a van and we traveled around the U.S. and Canada for three months, summer of our senior year before we went on to college. And that was a transformative trip.
0: Yeah, did it make you more confident, at least in French?
2: Um, well, maybe it made me want to do it again. It really made me want to do it again, and to go back to that school. I loved that city. You know, I like to think about how why do some cities work and why don't they work. You know, we did a lot of interviews on that. I've I've written stories about that. I write those stories in Seattle magazine that really are about that. Nice worked in this really remarkable way city of 350,000 half the size of Seattle but connected to one city after another along the Mediterranean coast right but it is its unique city and that's because the mountains come down pretty close on both sides and sort of hem it in it's a very dense city for 300,000 it's a five six-story city for the most part a lot of apartment buildings in the lower part of the city and then up higher in the hills there's really nice houses and villas and stuff. But down there in the old city where I lived, which was a very old city, you know, 1200s it had been remodeled, but like my apartment building was really old. They had preserved a good chunk of the Belle Epoch architecture, that beautiful ornate architecture of that era. And though there was infill of newer buildings, there were many, many blocks of that era of architecture. There was a core where I walked a lot. It was beautiful. And it was a different lifestyle that was reflected in the architecture. More coffee shops, more restaurants, more people not just going out but spending a couple hours at lunch and they have a little bit of wine and they sit around and have a good time and they sit in coffee shops and they sit in those little tobacco stores or those little corner bars. And then you walk out onto the shoreline and there's people walking up and down this promenade. It became very comfortable to be there and it felt very homey to be there. If it changed me, it made me feel like I lived here, even though it was just a month, I lived here and I could live there again. That's kind of a different perspective. Yeah,
0: yeah. One of the things that I've certainly suffered from and I think you've suffered from too is partly because we've lived in Seattle for so long and partly because we had a job where it was our job to investigate every single thing about Seattle and we did it for two hours a day for <laughs> decade. You more, how many, how long? Three decades. Three decades. Okay, fine. Decade for me, three decades for you. That I often have this fatigue of Seattle of feeling like I can find things to be interested in, but now what? You know, like what else is there to know? And I even have the problem of feeling like I know too much. I don't want to look at the waterfront and, and go through the, the back history of the viaduct and the monorail debate and all this. But I know it all. And so there is something to be said for a town and its mysteries.
1: Yeah. So
2: No, I think you put it really well. And I feel that way as well. And that's the other reason I wanted to go somewhere else and do something different. I feel the same way. I mean, I, I chose this town. You were born here. No, I wasn't. No, you you were born here. You moved here too, but you moved here with your family. Yeah. Yeah, I moved here to be here. And... I feel the same way, and I I think I was talking to somebody at some coffee shop the other day, and we started talking about some aspect of the uh, train, the light rail that runs through Seattle now, and I started giving them some of the backstory by accident of what happened in the tunnel, but also what happened on Third Avenue and why the buses are configured that way and all this other stuff, and they thought it was cool. I knew that much, and I was thinking, why do I know that much about this? <laughs> what the hell? I feel that same way. I mean, I have to, my main exercise is getting out and walking, right? And trying to walk like four miles a day. And I have a hard time mustering the energy to walk from this door, my house, to the four mile amount that I have to walk because I've walked it already. And I know I haven't seen it all, but I've seen it all. And also this is a mostly suburban part of the city and it's just, Houses single-family houses and the grid and then you come to some park you come to a school or maybe there's a little shopping area But it's very I don't know It's just I I'm jaded by it even though I shouldn't be because it's a beautiful city, but I'm jaded by it So being in a place like nice where I got lost every time I took a left or a right and would end up in I ended up in some cemetery one time that had this big Jewish section which was fascinating to me that there was a big Jewish population in Nice at one time. Up on top of this cemetery was also this uh, this big park that had been a fort. And then dropping down on the other side, winding through this path that was sort of a path, and there were these ruins on both sides. I found this street that was all these old antique shops. I thought that was neat looking at these old antiques and art because it's a big art gallery city and there's a lot of rich people so there's a lot of antiques and things to look at and that was fun. And then I turned a corner one day and I was in this closed off but open-walled series of little stalls, but they were permanent. It was a warren where you'd turn left and right and around and and it was uh, people selling you know, old stuff of some age and <laughs> overpriced to some extent, but probably a person with some intelligence could say, oh, this has some value. This is not that valuable, but maybe interesting. But anyways, all these little shops and all these people making their money off these little shops. Oh, and I was wandering through a part of the city and I came across you and I like drawing and we like cartoons, and we like comics, and we like graphic novels. You're working on one right now. I'm very proud of you. And uh, anyways, I all of a sudden stumble across this very modern store that is only selling graphic novels and illustrated children's books. And they're also selling wine and coffee and they serve a little food. And the first thing I asked was, so I can drink wine and look at these books? You're not worried about me spilling on them? And they said, no, don't be ridiculous in French because that part was French. And we talked a little bit about it. And uh, France is very much of a graphic novel culture. I mean, that is a big part of their of their publishing, and there's some amazing graphic novels that I found there. Loved that store. Said, okay, I'm going to remember this store. And then they closed. I had to leave. It was, you know, 7 o'clock, and they were closing for the evening. And they said, you know, come back, you know, anytime you want. It was late. I had had two glasses of wine. I probably had, like, six glasses of wine by the time I ended up there, maybe (laughs) more. But it was a great story. They went across the street to this bar called The Beer District. Said, i got to come back to this place, the graphic novel store spent the next two weeks, could never find it. Could not even find it listed in, you know, on Google Maps, doing searches. I just could never find it. I didn't have the right name for it, apparently. I know it was there, but it all of a sudden wasn't there. It was like Brigadoon. It had vanished. It was just a thing for me. I never found it again.
1: Wow.
2: And, and, you know, when in France and in Europe, you know, when stores are closed up, like in America, when stores are closed up, they have usually like gates inside or bars inside the windows. But, you know, in Europe, right, and, and in Asia, too, right, when a store is closed up, they usually pull down a metal door and they shutter it. You know, you can't really tell what's there sometimes unless there's signs outside. Yeah. So somewhere this place existed and I could never find it again. And I never even could locate what street it was on. But... How great a mystery is that, right?
0: If it was a story, the only evidence you'd have would be the fact that you still had that one book. Yes,
2: but I did not save the receipt or the (laughs) card from the shop, which I both took and then misplaced. So all I have is the book, but no evidence that I bought it at some store in France, in, in Nice.
0: So what was it like to come home after all this?
2: I was ready to come home. I mean, I was happy to come home. I missed my wife. I missed my sister. That's it. I did not miss my house so much because of all the things we just talked about. I've been here for almost, since 1985. I had a nice bed, so I didn't miss my bed so much because, you know, I like I like my bed. But I didn't miss that so much. Uh, but I have been taking walks and sort of renewing acquaintances with old friends and spaces, old friends that are spaces. But I am now always sort of thinking, this is cool, but if I was doing the same, I'd do this a lot. How long is this walk? Oh, I would have walked... Up to the Matisse Museum and watch those guys playing boules, or, you know, or patonque that they were playing in this park. It was such a convivial space that they were engaged in. We don't really have that same. I don't feel that we have that same sort of thing in the States. I mean, we have people that do pick up games of basketball, and that's maybe an equivalent. But um, I don't know. I just felt nostalgic for that. I'm glad to be back because it's my home. But I do want to do it again
0: both you and I are artist types and because we had these big demanding jobs and then we don't anymore but we still live in the same city as where those big demanding jobs existed I think that both of us have felt a little um like we've been searching for whatever the next creative impulse is over time and and what that creative impulse is in the shadow of the job that we had and the people that everybody thinks that we are. Did you discover anything artistically while you were away and far away? from the expectations of Seattle?
2: Well, as I'm more distant from those, and I'm older anyways, than you. I used to joke about when people meet me and they they didn't say it, but they almost said, didn't you used to be, you know. Steve Shearer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, but I do feel sometimes disconnected from the, you know, we were in media, so we felt, we felt and we weren't in the center of things. But that's a false thing thinking that media people have and that stems in part from that constant churn of daily stories which are mostly just the repeat of the last daily story and it turns out to be just nonsense and the deeper things that people produce with culture works of art that take time to percolate they're not connected to that kind of buzz so I've been sort of weaning myself from that anyways and the and the uh, the energy that comes from having to do that kind of daily stuff and being connected to that. But saying that, being there, and deliberately being in this foreign place, the other reason to go was to see if, you know, it could clear my head a little bit in order to, this is, everybody does, it's typical, right? In order to sort of figure out where that, what the steps are that I take to get onto the path that keep me focused on the thing that I wanted to do, that I want to do, which is to write fiction, right? And I've been doing it. I've had a good time doing it, but I haven't had any success in getting anybody to read it or getting it published or anything like that. And to to do more children's, liter- well, to draw more, to do more cartoons or graphic novels, though I'm no artist. But one thing I I did learn over there was I did clear my my head enough to think you know you're not gonna you don't have that much longer some people drop dead at any moment. So I did sort of find a little resolve to to focus on the things that I want to finish that I've started and have not finished. And I did find a little bit of that over there just because it was such a foreign space, you're cleared from the stuff that the familiar that it can be clutter. So I did find that I was doing some drawing and I'm no artist, right? I mean, I'm drawing. Is
0: you say that, but I love your drawings. Yeah,
2: but they're they're.
0: Quit hitting my microphone. You know this is over. So they're,
2: they're cartoons, right? And they're yeah. yeah. But anyways, they're not.
0: But that's drawing. That's
2: sure whatever. But anyways, I was doing that, and that was fun. And I gave myself the task of like, I'm going to do the uh, three or four of these every day, just sketches. And I would never have done that here. I just wouldn't have thought about it, you know. But I'm in a place where I go to worship at the altar of. Matisse and Chagall and Cezanne and Picasso and they have all these national museums there that are devoted just to one artist those artists and so to go there and see their stuff and to, and to see them working on these simple but elegant creations that would happened here it's something about being there in their in their land where they chose to be because of the light and because of the culture and because of the the feeling that they got from the land itself that gave me inspiration that i brought back with me to keep sort of on that path so that's part of what you get right when you travel and go places and that's why i wasn't i didn't want to feel like a tourist this time i wanted to be in that city and i wanted to have a routine you know basically what do i do here i i'm in the city i go to the shops i keep my apartment clean keep my house clean have a few friends So I wanted to do that in another space and to see how that felt and what it brought about. And a lot of it was just, oh, it's the same, it's sort of the same pathways in your brain and in the feet, but it's different places. And so you can see different things and 60 odd years of doing that, I felt good about doing it. I was excited to do it even though it was not, you know, not that big a challenge. (laughs) It wasn't like I was in the jungle or anything, right? (laughs)
0: All right, well, we'll leave it there. Maybe next time the jungle. Oh, next time I'm going with you. That's what we decided. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I would like, I would be fun to have shared it with some friends. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, well, tell me when you're going next. Yeah, I'm going to go next year. Well, thanks for talking to me.
2: Peace out, sister.
0: Miss working with you.
2: Yeah, I miss working with you, but I I don't miss the working, so we're Uh,
0: doing this instead. Yeah, all right, so you'll be a weekly guest from now on. Oh, we're only on every week. Well, monthly. I don't think you need that. (laughs) All right. Well, I don't inti-
2: think Tiffany would like that. <laughs> Tiffany's got some things to say, Katie.
0: <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Talk to you next week. Bye.
1: Thanks to Stackery for supporting this program. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the United States. With Stackery, even though you live abroad, You can shop at your favorite U.S. retailers at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your package, and a tax-free U.S. mailing address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, you can save 10% off your first shipment. Just visit stackery.com and use the coupon code MANJA. That's M-A-N-G-I-A. Thanks also to the listeners who've donated to keep this show going. We can't do it without you. If you haven't yet, visit thebittersweetlife.net and click the Donate button. Any amount donated will be rewarded with a handwritten thank you note and our huge thanks.